Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is a Little Empire podcast. Visit us at littleempirepodcast.com and on Twitter at littleempirepod. It follows the guidelines I laid out in my congressional address, a plan that will lower costs, expand choices, increase competition, and ensure health care access for all Americans. This will be a plan where you can choose your doctor. This will be a plan where you can choose your plan. And you know what the plan is. This is the plan. Hello everybody and welcome to Politics. This is Tim Bat here, uh, a New Zealand comedian attempting this week to talk about the American political happenings by himself. Um, Jeb's pretty busy this week. I'm on location. Uh, I'm in a different town from usual in, in New Zealand. But I figured we needed, absolutely needed to get something out, um, in particular about this healthcare thing. So we're going to kick off with that. Uh, if I can make some time as well, I'd love to have a little chat about the WikiLeaks CIA uh, revelations that have come out this week as well. But firstly, on the healthcare thing. Now, this is going to start super broad and uh, get specific at the end. So please bear with it. What What's happened this week is the Republicans have released their proposed alternative to Obamacare. Now, this is after the Republicans voted over 50 times to either repeal, defund or delay Obamacare otherwise known as the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, while Obama was president, um, which included at least six times when they voted to simply repeal the whole law in its entirety. Now, Obamacare was an excellent rallying cry for the GOP while they were in opposition because they knew that no matter how much support they could drum up to get it repealed, it would get vetoed by the president. So nobody had to stand by anything. You can just band together and claim it's the worst thing in the world, and keep voting, because you're not going to have to own any consequences when you know that your bill uh, will be killed by the White House anyway. It's going to get vetoed at the top, so it'll never have a chance to be enacted, and you have to deal with the actual outcome of what you're proposing. So while all these interesting factions over the last few years have been pushing and pulling the Republican Party in different new directions, like the, the Tea Party people versus the moderates, and more recently the Conservative Freedom Caucus... John Boehner and then Paul Ryan, uh, who's, let's not forget, he got drafted to be Speaker against his will while everyone was lauding him as being this great numbers guy who's very smart when it came to economic issues. Both of the two most recent Republican Speakers of the House, they could bring the party together in this unified cry against Obamacare, um, which is what we now know as repeal and replace. That's what it eventually turned into. No matter what the other issues were that they couldn't agree on, um, they couldn't get the party in line, they could all unite around this repeal and replace battle cry. So here's the thing about healthcare. It fucking sucks as an issue because it's very big, it's very complex, it involves a hell of a lot of economic trade-offs that you've got to make which will bring to bear where your ethics lie, uh, what you believe government's role is, what you believe society's role is in protecting the poor and the sick. It involves the healthcare sector, which isn't really supposed to be all about money, but in the United States it is because of their historic faith in free markets as being a solution to every problem and their scepticism of government and their love of capitalism, which isn't a wholly bad thing, but that's just 
where they are. Uh, the anything to do with healthcare involves all these huge stakeholders. It involves massive insurance companies, which are financial institutions. They're butting up against hospitals. You've got private pharmaceutical corporations, which are quite interesting in their own right because they're dealing with a huge amount of money, but they're a very kind of high-risk, high-reward-style industry where they've got to pour a lot of money into R&D and hopefully strike gold with a new drug that they can patent. It's The whole thing is all of these very interesting and very big institutions butting up against each other and it makes it a real clusterfuck to try and legislate and that's why historically it's been so damn hard for any previous US president to pass healthcare reform and a ton of recent presidents have tried and failed because by any objective measure the United States does not do well in this area it spends a tremendous amount of money to have not particularly good healthcare incomes uh, when you look at the rest of the OECD or even just broadly the western world so in insurance, the system only works by balancing lots of money being paid into the total pool and a small amount of money going out to pay things the insurance has to pay for. So how do you achieve that in healthcare? You get a lot of young, healthy people paying into the pool who are most likely not going to pull any serious money out for ages, not till they start getting older, at which point other young, healthy people take their place. But the problem is, how do you get people who likely won't need to have access to health insurance, how do you get them to buy into the pool? How do you get them to pay for something that nine times out of 10, they're not going to need to use? Because we need their money to pay the people who are actually going to use health services, the, the people that the insurance has to actually pay the operations, the doctors, the medicines. Now, Obama's solution to this problem in the ACA and Obamacare was the individual mandate. Um, the individual mandate in the ACA is a law that's still on the books, um, which is getting eroded by the day. We won't get into all of that. Um, that everybody, that basically what the, what the individual mandate is in Obamacare is that everyone has to have health insurance. You have to be covered. And if you are not, if you are not covered, uh, the government is going to fine you. The incentive being, if you're paying a fine to the government and you're getting nothing in return, you might as well just pay a little bit more and actually have something out of it, which is health insurance. Now, the fine, uh, as it stands at the moment, is about $700 annually for an adult and $350 US for a child per year. But the fine goes up as you earn more. Um, it works out to be 2.5% of your income or the 700 bucks annually, whichever is higher of the two. Now, this was unpopular because uh, people don't like the government telling the population that they have to do something, and that's fair enough. Except that this is really the only way to make a health insurance system work unless you really start tinkering and regulating the industry to the point where it comes under the government's total responsibility, which is kind of what we have in a lot of Western countries, including here in New Zealand, where we have a public health care system that's paid for by taxes, and then we have a separate system called uh, Accident Compensation Corporation, or ACC, which aims to help people continue their income when they're unable to work for, uh, usually they just cover injuries for an amount of time while you're getting rehabilitated to re-enter the workforce. And we've also got a small private healthcare system here, um, generally reserved for higher income earners who, who really want to pay for it. Um, but, okay, so, so now we've got this new Republican healthcare bill called the uh, AHCA. It doesn't have the individual mandate anymore. They didn't want it. They didn't want that big government component anymore, even though they used to actually be a fan of that mechanism years ago. Um, 
it was put forward by the Heritage Foundation, uh, which is a conservative think tank that kind of draft uh, white papers and new potential laws that people like governors adopt and then put on their books in their states and try them out. And it was actually Mitt Romney uh, who successfully trialed the model of Obamacare in Massachusetts and had great success with it. And, and then Obamacare was basically taking that blueprint and rolling it out on a federal level. But anyway, um, the individual mandate became over the years too politically antithetical to where the GOP is now. Um, they need, but they, you need some sort of mechanism to try and keep people paying in who won't uh, use a lot of healthcare. So their proposal, their answer to it is they take the individual mandate out, which is this fine that you've got to pay the government, and what they're putting in in its place is a 30% penalty that the insurance companies will get to charge you above market rate if you're getting insurance without having it the year before. So, so basically, there's like a set rate that you get assessed at for how much your insurance is going to cost. If you weren't insured last year, they get to whack another 30% on as a penalty to you for in, entering or re-entering the market after your insurance has lapsed. Now, it's supposed to prevent people from falling out of coverage. But the thing is, a lot of experts from like the entire political spectrum are saying that there's no way in hell this is going to work. Because 30% isn't a strong enough incentive to get healthy people to enter the insurance market or to stay in it. And, I mean, this is just one issue with the new proposal. Obamacare had a rule that for your your insurance plan to count as being real in the eyes of the US government and for you to avoid uh, the government penalty for failing to fulfill the individual mandate, the plan, the insurance plan you're on, had to meet a test. Uh, The test was achieving at least a 60% score in something called actuarial value. And that figure uh, shows how much an insurance pool expects to pay out versus the money coming in. So a 90% value means that 90% of the money going in paid by those insured gets paid, 90% of that gets paid out again for healthcare. And that makes it a, a like a high quality, trustworthy insurance fund because it's only 10% are kind of getting absorbed as profits by the insurance company. Now, the Republican plan, it removes this test entirely. To them, anything counts as being a healthcare plan if an insurance company calls it one. Anything counts as being insurance. And there's a problem here when we mix these two issues together Young, healthy people sit on a very cheap, low-quality insurance scheme, and that healthy young person likes it because they don't have to pay much. They avoid the 30% penalty next year because technically they have what is considered by the government insurance, and who cares that it really doesn't give them any coverage at all? They're not going to use healthcare anyway, so they're happy. Um, They're probably not going to get sick in the near future because they're they're young, they're healthy, they're not going to have any problems. The insurance company also loves this because... What they get to do is keep more profits from that low-quality pool where lots of healthy people who don't use healthcare are paying in. But by putting that young person in a low-quality insurance pool where you've got a ton of young, healthy people paying in, um, the pool only pays out, say, it's got 50% actual actuarial value. So that means the other half, the insurance company just gets to keep his profits. So... What's going to happen then is by putting that young person in the low-quality insurance pool, it stops them being in a more mixed one and balancing out the old and sick people that need them there to balance out the healthcare costs of the total pool. 
The other pools full of old and sick people get more and more expensive and the people at the bottom of those pools who are say like a 40 year old who may not have had many health problems whatsoever beyond say a sports injury they had to get a knee seen to by a doctor suddenly they're paying a tremendous amount of money to compensate for all the healthcare needs of the rest of their old sick pool that they're now a part of and this is what causes death spirals which is probably a, a term you've heard in the news quite a lot is the costs go out of control because no one can afford to pay anymore you're driving the youngest healthiest people out first creating an increasingly escalating cost until you're left with just a bunch of old sick people who need a lot of health care and definitely can't afford to pay it anymore and there's no young people that are subsidizing their health care costs so i mean this is just a couple of issues with the law another one is that uh it's going to cost 600 billion dollars in tax breaks which are going almost exclusively to higher income earners. The Republicans don't appear to have any plan on how that gets paid for. Uh, another issue, Trump, uh, he didn't mention a ton of specifics about what the new plan would be when he was campaigning, but he did say that what he would do with healthcare is drive down costs by allowing people to buy insurance beyond their state lines. He wanted to take down... Uh, the state line which would increase competition so you could buy insurance all over the country so you've got these insurance companies competing with each other all over the shop driving driving the cost down for the consumer that isn't in this bill either that hasn't been taken away the white house are already getting a bit freaked out and you can tell because sean spicer has preemptively told everyone not to pay attention to the cbo scoring of this bill um the CBO is the Congressional Budget Office, which is this nonpartisan part of the U.S. government that makes the the best possible assessment on what new laws are going to cost the economy. Um, they copped a bit of flack because they they didn't get Obamacare exactly right, but it turns out with the fullness of time through the uh, uh, Medicaid expansion, it's actually kind of evened out. So one number that they got wrong has been course corrected by a shortfall somewhere else and it's actually come out to be pretty much what they said uh, all of that to say I, I mean they do make mistakes because what they're making is a prediction on what the effect is going to be on the economy and when it comes to healthcare, we're talking about some very complex numbers and a huge amount of money so um, they didn't get it dead right but the CBO really is it's non-partisan it's the best bet and trying to score what legislation is going to cost the economy. They haven't scored this bill yet. This is this is the system that everyone relies on to try and assess what kind of economic effect um, a law is going to have. And the senators and Congress people, they look at that kind of evidence to um, base their decisions if they're going to support something or not. Now, they, they haven't even made their assessment yet, and the White House are already telling people, Sean Spicer said in a press conference, if you're looking uh, for an assessment and you're looking at the CBO, you're looking at the wrong place. They already know they're going to get fucked by this assessment that the Congressional Budget Office comes out with. Now, uh, what's happening right now? So this got released, this bill, only a few days ago. People on the right are mad that it's too similar to Obamacare. They're calling it Obamacare light. The left are pissed off that the Republicans are going to make coverage more expensive for poor people under the guise of smaller government interference. And really, anyone in the middle or anyone with a brain is just left wondering, what is the purpose of this bill beyond just having to exist because the GOP have to have something to fulfill the replace and the repeal and replace bumper sticker that they've been putting on. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Because for the last five years. The politics of this is kind of interesting because it doesn't even look remotely sure to pass even though the Republicans narrowly control the Senate. Lindsey Graham, for example, has been one of the Republican senators uh, who's actually been attending some town halls recently. And to placate these rabid crowds who are turning up protesting, uh, who don't want the GOP fucking with Obamacare, he said that he refuses to be drawn into an up or down vote on this um, this new proposed healthcare legislation from the Republicans. And if he is drawn up into that yes or no situation, he's going to vote against it. So then, and this is me putting my tinfoil hat on a little bit, but the the question kind of becomes, did the Republican leadership know this all along? Because th- this looks like an incredibly rushed piece of legislation that they weren't expecting to have to put together. I don't think anyone was anticipating Trump would win, including Trump himself. And they're trying to rush it through. All it would... I mean, we're talking about 18% of the United States GDP. This is almost a fifth of the whole economy of the states. And this appears, not just from me, not just from the left bubble that I'm, you know, reading my sources from, this seems objectively to be a worse, shittier version of healthcare than what Obama and the Democrats put forward. It's politically unfeasible. It's not even beneficial for Trump's base, lower-income rural people, because uh, the, they're actually going to get screwed by this bill more than most. It doesn't drain the swamp. It'll allow money to flow to insurance companies more. They're going to be able to get more profits. It'll allow them to get away with paying out less money in healthcare. It's going to take $600 billion in revenue away from the government, a shortfall that doesn't appear to be paid for anywhere so far. And the majority of that money, that $600 million that the US government's not going to get, is going to go to rich people. So so what about this? Has Paul Ryan and the GOP pulled this bill out of their ass just to have something to show, counting on the fact that it's pretty likely going to fail so they can just move on to other legislation and business that they want to get to, like tax reform? Because apart from the Rand Pauls and the party, I, I'm just not convinced that the GOP has a true ideological issue with Obamacare now that it's in place. I mean... Once again, this was Romney care. This was something that Mitt Romney came up with the model for and put into practice in his state and wore it around his neck, and rightly so, like a badge of honor. This, this was a Republican plan. I'm, just, I'm not convinced that the GOP has a true issue with this, and I think that they used it as a point to rally the party, rally the base together, and now they're a bit fucked because they've got to have something to show to the public to prove that it's actually policy and not just politics. And this is pretty fringe. It might not be out there, but I think it is worth thinking about as a possible explanation for just how terrible a bill got presented by the Republicans as an alternative. Let's keep watching and find out. 
On Tuesday, the 7th of March, WikiLeaks began its new series of leaks on the Central Intelligence Agency, codenamed Vault 7. This uh, series of publications uh, is the largest ever publication of confidential documents on the agency. You're back on politics. It's just him here this week, and as a result, you're going to get a little less politics and a little more nerd shit in the second half of this episode. Uh, because three days ago, WikiLeaks started releasing materials on a secret CIA set of cyber tools that they've either, either developed in-house or purchased from hackers, uh, which they can use to spy on a massive array of digital devices. Now, the releases uh, have been called Vault 7. If you see that come up, that's WikiLeaks kind of code name for this whole set of releases. And... They're significant for a few different reasons. Firstly, there is the sheer amount of information that we're dealing with. Um, this is thousands and thousands of pages of documents. The first lot was uh, released a couple of days ago, and it contains specifics about tools that the CIA has, which exploit vulnerabilities in iPhones, Android phones, and Samsung smart TVs, and... At a minimum, they at least tried to exploit the software getting inside of modern chipped cars. Um, there doesn't seem to be definitive proof if they were successful with being able to hack into cars, but uh, there is at a minimum resource in the, resources as part of the releases that show that they were trying to do that. Now, I want to say something about WikiLeaks. Um, they are an organization that people have very different opinions about, but one thing that they have uh, an amazing track record for is the integrity of their releases themselves. That is to say, they do not release hoaxed or forged documents historically, and they've got an excellent track record for the authenticity in the materials that they release. Now, what they do not have a great track record with uh, is, in the past, their hype machine. Particularly Julian Assange himself, who's the founder and uh, sort of figurehead of WikiLeaks, um, in particular, he has often hyped things that never quite come to fruition. He promises there'll be a certain release at a certain date that never quite comes around and then explains, explains his way out on some sort of technicality and what he said. So um, just bear in mind that if past is prelude, WikiLeaks leaked documents are trustworthy. Um, WikiLeaks communications about what's coming down the pipe are be take them with a big old grain of salt is what I would recommend. Um, okay, so the Vault 7 releases, they're important. One of the biggest things about this release is that it shows how incredibly insecurely these tools, these vulnerabilities that the CIA have assembled are when they're being stored. So what, what the Central Intelligence Agency have done is they've poured a ton of resources, a shit ton of money, into accumulating all of these exploits for all of these different devices and putting them in one central place at the CIA. And now... Uh, it seems like they've gotten loose. So all in one convenient place for bad actors to grab them, they're just sitting there. Um, they've managed to get out to WikiLeaks. The argument that WikiLeaks is using, uh, which I'm kind of sympathetic to, is that if they have these resources, if they have these published documents, there are bad dudes out there who will never hear from who have them sneaked out of the CIA as well. And this could be anyone from North Korea um, to ISIS to individual hackers with a beef against the US government or individual hackers who don't even have a beef with the US government but they've got a beef with someone and they just want to steal the tools from the CIA to use against their own enemies. Um, the CIA, you've heard Jeb talk about this in particular in, in previous episodes, they've always been a 
deeply troubling and intensely powerful agency. Uh, if you want some light bedtime reading, just Google the 1954 Guatemalan coup as one example that we've actually had a lot of declassified details with in the aftermath. Um, one of the very bad things about the CIA is the lack of oversight and incredible amount of autonomy that they have. Uh, a couple of years ago, when we had the Snowden revelations um, about the incredible pervasive surveillance power of the NSA, um, that was a massive deal. People took notice of that. What WikiLeaks are arguing now is that the situation uh, that they've uncovered with the CIA is even worse because they're left alone by the government so much more, more even than the NSA. So what specifically are these tools? What are these exploits? What have they been sitting on? Well, they had exploits that can bury into the operating system and firmware of Apple and uh, Android phones, Google Android phones, and... When something's in the operating system, that's a very deep level to penetrate on a set of devices that, let's remember, have two cameras and a microphone. Because what's been making the news a lot surrounding the story is that we have apps like uh, Signal, I think Telegram's another one, on mobile devices that have end-to-end encryption um, of the contents of the message. And what that means is that no one can read the content of that message. It's very, very hard to to try and grab the contents of that message when it's encrypted end-to-end. That defense, though, that attempt at privacy can be overcome because with the set of tools that the CIA has, they can, for example, look at you pressing on the keyboard they can see you on the screen and follow which letters you're typing. So there's no need for them to crack the encryption of the messaging software. They're already watching you type the message in in real time using uh, a set of keys, uh, a set of tools called a keylogger. Um, there's a tool they developed called Weeping Angel, which specifically was developed for Samsung smart TVs, which puts them in a fake off mode. Uh, you, you turn the TV off, it looks like it's off, the standby light comes on, the screen is blank. But if the TV has this uh, bit of malicious code, the software tool that the CIA have installed on the tally, it actually isn't off. It's faking being off. What it's actually doing is using the microphone and the camera and the TV to record whatever it can see in here, and it's sending that back to the CIA. Um, they had tools which sit inside of routers, network routers, internet routers, so they can look at any traffic whatsoever that's happening through a network, websites you're going to, emails you're sending. They had, um, they've still got, presumably, a tool called Hammer Drill, which specifically targets air-gapped machines, which are um, computers, devices, machines that are intentionally kept completely offline from the internet. They're not connected to the internet or any device that is connected to the internet so they're held off networks specifically so nothing held on those servers or computers is vulnerable to hackers stealing the the information that's on there um they, they develop tools using cd-roms and usbs to use physical penetration to then try and jump that air gap so those are some of the specifics of what they've been doing um why is this bad the obvious one's privacy uh, the privacy implications are terrible while this isn't the same as the nsa revelations we had a few years ago with snowden this isn't this kind of wide net broad data capturing that the nsa engaged in what this shows is that if the cia has any desire to monitor you they have these incredibly powerful deep penetrating tools that can very easily turn your own phone or the phone of someone near you into two cameras and a microphone working for the CIA uh, to monitor you. It, it, it's just important to keep in your head that 
as we get more devices that are both connected to the internet and have different kinds of sensors, those whatever data that they're capturing is going to be vulnerable for other people to pick up. So another example that comes to mind of devices that are getting popular now, heart rate monitors, um, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But when we start getting more and more uh, internet-equipped bits of machinery, um, things like infrared cameras that are in your house to work as security cameras so that they can watch in the darkness. Um, That's just potential data that someone can scoop up and take. The other issue uh, that the CIA is sort of involved with now is that they've, they've arguably made the whole world a riskier, less safe place by making the decision to hoard these tools and these vulnerabilities that they've found out about or, or bought um, instead of reporting them to the likes of Apple and Google and Samsung who could then patch the security on their devices and software. The CIA have decided that it would be better for them to have the vulnerabilities and keep the holes open in the devices and the software for others to be able to exploit as well instead of losing their own ability to break into these devices. And you've got to remember that if the CIA has these tools and they know about these vulnerabilities, it's almost a 100% chance that at least the majority of these 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 exploits, these vulnerabilities, are in the hands of other people too, including bad actors, terrorist enemy states, black hat hackers who can steal secrets or blackmail people who can hijack your devices in exchange for money. These are the kind of people who will have these tools. If the CIA made the decision that they were going to share the information back with the technology companies, maybe they could patch them and um, do so quietly so so that while people are still trying to figure out these exploits, uh, your phone can be secure against them. So beyond that being a calculation that the CIA have made, which is them being on the side of keeping their own power at the expense of all of our safety, they've actually seemingly breached a commitment uh, that the Obama White House made as well to uh, something called the Vulnerabilities Equities Process, which was the government making a promise to tell technology companies about vulnerabilities when these were found so that companies could patch their devices and software. And this was a promise that got made in the aftermath of the NSA leaks from Ed Snowden um, after tech giants like Google and Apple and Microsoft got so pissed off that government intelligence agencies were sitting on all of these flaws that they had found in the systems and um, so they lobbied the government and got this commitment from Obama that in the future uh, any exploit that they found from 2010 going up they would share with the technology companies in the hope that they could all make the world a safer place we've all got these devices so now the CIA is desperately trying to um, find the mole Uh, we've got a lot of senior intelligence officials, both retired and presently sitting, going on late-night talk shows, which is a real fucking creepy look for me. Um, they're in another one of these communications crisis modes. And we'll probably continue to not have a public conversation about intelligence agencies having the persistent ability to spy on us. Um, but just so you know, that's that's what these WikiLeaks are at the moment. And... Um, they have promised to drip more releases uh, in, in the future as well. So we'll be back next week with Jeb to talk politics. Um, everyone out there, get, get plenty of fresh air. That would be my recommendation. Thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you again soon. Of course, cost matters, but look at how off they were last time. If you're looking to the CBO for accuracy, you're looking in the wrong place. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.